On this episode, we discuss remote learning, partnerships, and pretty cool things. All that and more on EdTech. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. Learn more at atlona.com. At Tech Episode 110, The Shape of Things to Come. Hello, AV friends, and welcome to another episode of EdTech. As always, we have our panel of awesome higher ed AV professionals, Ernie Bailey. Hi, Ernie. Hello, Erin. How are you doing today? It's good. It's good. Good. And we have with us Rob Raspberry. Hi, Rob. Hey, Erin. How's it going? It's always great to be here with you guys and gals. Absolutely. And of course, Scott Tyner. Hi, Scott. Hey, how are you? All right. And today we have a special guest joining us for this episode from Northwestern University and the DEI chair for HUTMA, Natalie Gillespie. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, everybody. It's nice to see you. I'm special today. <laughs> Not just today, always, always. <laughs> so how about you tell us a little bit about what you do over there? Well, my 12-second elevator pitch for people who don't know uh, AV is that I make sure that the projectors and sound systems work for uh, classrooms at Northwestern and send out my minions to assist people when they decide they not, don't want to work. Um, for HETMA, um, I was a PRISM scholarship recipient last year, and this year I am in charge of uh, administering the PRISM scholarship program. Um, so in uh, for those who don't know HETMA, I'm, I'm sure most of your audience knows HEDMA pretty well here, Erin. Um, but uh, we are a, a group of AV geeks who make sure that that uh, you know AV works in high, classrooms in higher ed. Um, and my job as the DEI chair is to make sure that this is a welcoming and uh, diverse space that embraces and proactively uh seeks out uh diverse perspectives and fosters people who are not necessarily represented in the av community excellent and you are doing such amazing work um this year's uh cohort for the prism scholarship um they uh we had our first kind of group meeting uh just yesterday and it was fantastic just the the people that are involved and as mentors um, for the um, scholarship winners are a great bunch of people that are like, they're just so, we're all so eager to help out and kind of help this next group along. And hopefully they will be as successful in as the um, last year's cohort that Natalie was part of. So um, wishing them all the best of luck this year. We have a wonderful group of mentors, including you, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> so let's jump into uh, the stories we read this month. Uh, so for from my tech decisions, this is, of course, one that um, is kind of close to my heart. It's uh, 
Silica joins Hetma as a gold partner. Um, and of course, uh, I'm the co-chair of Hetma. So anything that has to do with that organization, I am always uh, so very fond of. But um, I want to hear from everybody else. Um, what do the these sorts of partnerships mean to the higher ed AV space? I'm I'm wondering, Aaron. I'm, I'm actually it's, it's great. I didn't actually know you were you were co-chair and, and welcome, Natalie. I, I, great that you're involved. I'm hoping you can actually help me understand a little better because I I think that you do great things. This article had lots of um, um, words in it that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. So what is an accelerator of technology development and adoption within the higher ed vertical through several initiatives? Thank you for asking that. I was going to. That one, I am, um, that was a lot of um, words. Burbage. <laughs> but I think as with um, you know, most of our corporate partners at Hetma, um, you know, they're, they're all kind of leaders in the higher ed kind of space, um, equipment wise. Um, and so we're trying to create strategic partnerships and with group, with manufacturers that, you know, are creating solutions for the problems that we have on a day-to-day -day basis in the higher ed space. And um, so this was a prime example of kind of one of our newer groups that was very enthusiastic about, you know, joining in <laughs> and trying to, you know, help out and um, kind of uh, have Hetva help them, help us, help the higher ed space. Um, so hopefully um, people don't see these sorts of things and go, oh, well, you know, that's an automatic like endorsement. It's really the, the, once they go through the approved program, that's when the approved program is really where we are giving their like true, this piece of equipment that they produced is going to work for the higher ed space. Um, but in general, um, it's, it's an exciting opportunity, I think, all around. It's a tight partnership where our technicians and engineers can work with them in modifying or enhancing products to work in our environment. I know that's... We did a lot of that in the early days of what is now AVIXA, back when it was the National Audiovisual Association, back in the 80s when I first started working with it, probably before most of y'all were born. But uh, <laughs> uh, I've, I've been around for a while, but there used to be a lot of that availability that as the organization and the manufacturers have grown, we're not seeing quite as much of. So I'd like to see that kind of come back where, hey, you know, you can call a manufacturer directly and say, this is what I'm looking for. And they tell us, well, we may be able to make some changes or modify this device where it would work for you. Absolutely. We, um, we did have a product that went through the approved program that um, it didn't pass. Uh, we were like, this is not going to work for us and gave notes essentially back to the manufacturer. And they did take that advice 
into, uh, you know, and they improved their product. Um, and we are also working with a couple of our sponsors to do um, focus groups to kind of do exactly that, like make suggestions as to how they can improve upon things that either they're already doing or things that potentially are in the pipeline. So it's, um, it's fun and exciting to be able to, you know, help shape the future essentially. So they're, they're manufacturers. If they're a goal partner, they're manufacturers committed to working with the educational market to create products to fit them, to educate them, to support them through things. It sounds like even the, the prism scholarship, which is fantastic. So, um, that, that's cool. I just, I was being a, a little silly about some of the, the, the language that they wrote this article in it. Uh, I think sometimes in tech, we get a little too, uh, we want to use all these, these keywords and jargon that don't often make sense, but I think it sounds like a good, a good program. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there that, you know, it's, it almost, uh, you know, some of the, um, as we, we've been talking about AI writing things that almost sounds like maybe some of that. <laughs> mm. As DEI chair, I have to put my two cents in here and hope that uh, as as part of this partnership, we can uh, look for them to lead in uh, diversity hiring and uh, sustainability. Um, that's one of the things that uh, is a good fit for the higher ed market because there are so many people that have excesses of equipment that we don't, that we take out of classrooms, maybe a generation old, and so many campuses and universities that might need that extra equipment. And having a, a partner like this might be able, might be a good way to help uh, find homes for things that, uh, you know, people are turning back into them going, we, we have your next generation. Can we find a better home for this old, uh, older generation of something? Yeah, that's an excellent point that I, I would hope that more manufacturers start to look at their own products and not just to a third party, like, um, like save, um, and stuff like that, that they kind of look at their own practices and start making better decisions and potentially um, do sort of like a recycle program or an upcycle kind of situation. Yeah, and Natalie, I actually think your, your point about DEI is critical and could be very powerful through HEDMA in this program, right? To say your and I, maybe you already do, right? But your organization needs to show that they're committed to DEI. They hire in ways that support it. Their employees behave in ways that support it when they're at conference. Mm -hmm. And that if mm -hmm. there's problems with that, HEDMA is willing to revoke that gold partnership of an organization who doesn't um, support that. Yeah, that was one of the things that I was looking at in this uh, article. It uh, On their careers page, it says that we're searching for the best people uh, to bring innovative, disruptive collaboration products to market. You'll enjoy a fast-paced, detail-oriented work environment with a challenger mentality and environment where you can enact real change every day. So to me, that doesn't say anything about the actual, uh, that they're looking for a diverse uh, 
diverse um, viewpoints. They're they're not looking for they're looking for people who have the same sort of challenger mentality, which to me kind of translates to tech bro. <laughs> Could be reading something into that, but you know. Uh, well, and that that does. Um that goes towards the whole like you do have like companies need to be very careful about their language and if they want to attract certain demographics not that it has to be flowery or anything to attract women but you're right that does kind of read a little tech bro and could be a turnoff for certain groups you're not reading much into it if that's how you're reading it right you're that's how you're reading it. It means that that's how you're reading it. And so you should mm -hmm. think about that. I think that's a huge piece of, of um, making sure that you're bringing on a diverse set of thoughts is to not, not advertise the position that you yourself may be interested in, but a position that uh, lots of people might be interested in. Mm -hmm. And to proactively say, we are looking for a diverse group of viewpoints so that we can market ourselves to diverse people so that we can uh, have ideas that maybe other people wouldn't see, wouldn't think of, uh, solve problems that we wouldn't know about otherwise. So that's a great way to be, you know, a voice back to the company and say, hey, Hetma has this going on. Let's talk about how we can work together on that. Yeah, I think it's especially helpful to have an organization that specifically focuses on higher education. I mean, you know, there is the evicts a part of it, but it's good to have a professional organization that provides all these services, that vets these companies, that makes the focus what we need in the higher ed space you know, through whether it's diversity or checking technology, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's always good to have somebody out there, you know, going to bat for us. I really want to try them out in some of our bigger auditorium spaces. <laughs> Those packages sound really cool. Okay. Well, our next story, it comes from Brave Pubs, the sphere and the AV industry, of course, written by our very own Scott Tyner. Scott, you want to start us off with this discussion? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I think everybody has, has seen videos of the sphere and um, I, so I did a little more reading about it, right? To, to, I didn't even realize, I, I assumed, I don't know, most people see it, I assume it's, it's a casino in Vegas or it's just a, a um, an, an attraction, but it, it's actually a, a an entertainment venue that's built specifically for entertainment. And the more you read about it, the more amazing it is on the inside as it is on the outside. And it's fascinating that it comes at this same time that you have Taylor Swift out there, you know, changing the economies of cities as she's going on her on her tour. And you have um, extra things happening at concert. You have Jimmy Fallon coming out at, at the Jonas Brothers concert. And so as they're trying to do more and more in concerts and more and more people are going to concerts, this just seems to me like an entirely different experience that you take a concert and you and you just amp it up in a way that is crazy. And I mean, I I love Aerosmith, right? And I so much wanted to go out to Vegas to see Aerosmith at their residency in Vegas. Um, but I want to go out and see the Sphere. I don't even care who's in there. I want to go out and see it and experience a concert in there. And so to me, it is just amazing. And I, I, I 
again to the nerdy stuff like how many people they have working in that place to keep everything working and running and the show going and and what does that do we talk all the time about how do we get more people into our industry show a 17 year old the sphere and you've just sold them on the industry right like you don't even have to do it hmm. so i just i find it just an, an, a really cool amazing a brilliant thing that is a really good point it's a good entree into the av industry right so i mean i think now that you said that you you make projectors work right so next time somebody says what do you do go i do that and just point to the yeah <laughs> right. That's, my yeah. son was like i could watch this for hours mom this is so cool yeah it's interesting instead of just like and scott i think they you know you were alluding to this and they actually said it it's like it's an experience not just a concert venue it's it's almost like an amusement park with you know an auditorium a, a state-of-the-art auditorium it's like the ultimate acoustic roller coaster if you want to call it that i mean i would when i see this and i'm looking at this i'm like oh my god you know it's just your eyes just bug out and you're like the possibilities and you know and, and the thing is is yeah it's 2.2 billion but look at what it does what it's projecting out to the capability of technology. It's mind boggling. And, and just the, the size and scale, we talk about scalability. I think this is it. <laughs> it's, it's amazing because I, I started writing this article, it's funny you say that Rob, thinking the point of the article was gonna be, God, how did they waste $2.2 billion? How are they ever gonna make that? <laughs> and then the more I read about it and learned about it, I was like, oh wow. Oh man, they're going to make that back easy. Oh, absolutely. Considering that people don't make money off of CDs or cassette tapes anymore, this is this is the way that you can make money as a music artist. Yeah, and considering, you know, Vegas is pretty much a 24/7 city, they could potentially have multiple shows in a day depending on, you know, if they had a setup that could be quickly changed depending on which artists are in there um they really you know i it's gonna take no time to make that back i feel like yeah you don't need any backdrops you've got the backdrop you don't need set pieces i mean that is the set yeah. piece and uh and i think scott you're right like that that is a venue that is a destination in and of itself mm -hmm. like I don't care who's playing there. I want to see somebody there. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it opens the door to a lot of possibilities and definitely jobs um, between the content on the outside, the video, you know, everything on the inside. Uh, it's, yeah, it's definitely an experience that I, I hope I get to uh, enjoy when I'm out in uh, in Vegas. I, I'm definitely already working on an Infocom trip next year. Just just to see, just for no other reason than to see that. Right. I hope Avixa has a tie-in with that. If we have something uh, with official with Infocom tying in with that or Hetma. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, because I know uh, Vix always has those like behind the scenes tours and stuff. Right. So it would be, I'm sure, sold out quick if they were able to pull off one of those. 
that place looks so big, you probably would get lost in a tour, mm. you know, never to be found again. <laughs> I know, but it would be so cool. <laughs> yeah, they'd have to keep us on a short leash. Trying to figure out how to use it in a environment. Yeah, it's a lot like the IMAX over at the Science and Industry Museum in Chicago. It's one of those big projection theater. You can you could use it for a lot of education in there, actually. Right. Oh, that'd be amazing to have like a school come in for a program or something during the day. Field trip. Be a pretty cool planetarium. Yeah. Yeah. Change what planet you were based on. <laughs> right. You'd be like on the outside, it looks like the surface of the planet. And then on the inside, you like see a different different view. Very neat. All the possibilities. I remember when I was growing up, the uh, local community college had a planetarium and they would do Pink Floyd, uh, you know, tie-in nights on weekends. This is taking that to a whole different level. Absolutely. Well, all right. From AV Magazine, Zoom calls remote workers back to structured hybrid office. It's interesting to think about this because there's a couple of different perspectives you can take on this. Either, you know, the management says it's just best for, you know, everybody to be in the office a couple of days a week. Um, you know, it, it could be maybe working completely remote in some instances is not the answer. Maybe you need maybe getting that change in location one day or two coming into the office might help. Uh, I don't know. Or maybe, you know, they're trying to recoup some, you know, uh, costs from the buildings that they've leased out or own. You know, I I don't know. But I know that, like, you know, here at Drexel, they, you know, have gone with sort of the hybrid approach. There are some people who can be remote in certain instances, but a lot of us need to be in the office at least for a certain period of time. And, you know, we can, you know, work from home a day or two or three, depending upon you know, what is, what is needed. Um, it, it just seems like that hybrid thing is just, I, I don't know, coming back into play. Um, what the reason is for it, I, I honestly am not, <laughs> coming from Zoom, I really don't know why that's happening. I mean, are they, you know, doing the Tesla thing? What's going on? I, I, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting coming from Zoom. And, and one of the reasons I think it's so interesting is I think if they're going to talk about collaboration and you can do this and zoom works and you need zoom what's the best way to really figure that out is to have your employees using it all the time working on it remotely figuring out ways to collaborate with their colleagues with all that said i i'm a pretty big proponent of teams need to be together teams need to see each other teams need to be in the same room as each other and so that part doesn't surprise me there's a little bit of suspicion i think that, that you're right that <clears throat> That last sentence of this article that says that their growth of 400% in 2020 is now down to 3% in the last quarter might also have something to do with maybe this helps us lose some employees and we don't have to have announcement that we laid off tens of thousands of employees, right? That there's there's some money issue here. Uh, not that they're necessarily in trouble. I think they're a great company, but this might be a way of hoping to lose um, some salary. Without having to lay anybody off. Yes. Let them Let them walk out the door. Uh, but yeah, I'm God, I'm with you. I like having people face to face, uh, at least every now and then. Uh, if everybody is on campus on, at meeting time, I say, everybody come to my office. We're going to meet in here, but 
like today, I've got one guy who's not feeling 100%. He said, I'm going to be at home, but I can join meetings remotely. So I said, okay, we're going to move these two meetings uh, to Zoom. Uh, and we were able to continue on. But uh, I'm for the hybrid hybrid mode. But, yeah, it does seem funny that the people who are really pushing us to be able to work remotely are not letting their own people do it. Just out of curiosity, I would say that at this point in my day, 90% of my meetings are in person, uh, which is much different than even 18 months ago. It would have been 10% were in person. I'm just, is anybody, I mean, is anybody, are any of you 50% in person uh, or less? We're probably less than 50%, but of course, um, we're running two campuses, uh, three hour drive apart. Uh, as well as our campus is pretty spread out. And I mean, plus we're a healthcare facility, so we do see a lot of uh, patients around us. So it's maybe safer to remain remote. But there are times I just walk to my boss's office and say, you know, we it's good to be here every now and then. I think in our, in our space, it's sort of, I'm going to say it's really sort of a requirement, at least in the classroom tech and that kind of thing. We sort of need to be here. And, and, you know, as much as we like the hybrid, we like the remote learning or online, there's nothing, I hate to say it, there's nothing like face-to-face. There's nothing like that human interaction physically being in a space and, you know, I'm not, dare I say touch, I should <laughs> say but, um, you know, just being there with somebody that that elevates and gets that interaction going. But at the same time, like I'm typically I'm sort of I've sort of gone the reverse. I was considered essential during the pandemic. You know, I was here all the time and sort of I've now like every once in a while will, you know, stay home and work remote every once in a great while. But what it allows my employees to do is get that flexibility if there's a you know, a family thing going on, or if there's an appointment that they can get to that's close to where they live in the residence, if there's a day that they are able to do that and be productive, that just helps really employment retention. And, and I would say, um, you know, the, the attitude and the morale on the team, it just helps it. Uh, but still, I mean, face-to-face is fine. What got me about this was that it was saying only the employees who live within 50 miles of their locations so all of those folks who decided to pick up and move to Hawaii during the pandemic. Yeah, I think that I, I, that was interesting, Natalie. And I, I, in my mind, that was, um, we told people they could leave and now there might be legal issues if we tell them they have to come back, uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting because I think, I think some of the other big major tech companies didn't care. They still said you have to come back at least two or three days a week, no matter where you move to. Um, but I, I know that didn't really feel fair to me either, that if you happen to stay here, you have to come back. And otherwise, no, you're good. I also feel bad for those people who are like, we're going to move farther away from the city so that it's cheaper to live. And now they're like, great. Now I've got like this you know, hour plus commute <laughs> a couple of days a week because we moved 50 miles away. You find the Google map that says 53 miles from your house and send that one in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I chucked it. I don't have to come in. Thank you. People still have too many meetings, whether they're in person or not, in a lot of places. Do you need, really need to have this meeting, you know? 
Yeah. But on the on the flip side, I I totally agree. It it is really nice to see people in person and have that spontaneous like connection, be able to make eye contact with people for a change. I miss that so much in remote meetings. And virtual happy hours are not the same as in-person happy hours. Amen. That's true. Absolutely. Um, Although I, I am definitely not a fan of the, the hybrid meeting where some of the people Mm. are online and some of the people are in the room. And I know Mm -hmm. that, you know, we've, technology has come a long way in trying to create that meeting equity and stuff, but it's still just, it's not, it's not the same. We have students that will sit right outside the classroom and join via their laptop. How bizarre. Yeah. I would love to have an image of all of us making that face because we all made yeah. like that same like head tilt, huh? Yeah, they almost made it to class. <laughs> the chairs are more comfortable out in the lounge area, you know. That's true. They can hear better. Yeah. Probably see better. I was going to say maybe they had a fear of people, but you just said the furniture is more comfortable. Wow. I mean, at that point, okay. why would you leave your room? Like, yeah. really, if you're Good if you're point. not going to be point. in the room, like, <laughs> right. well, I'm not leaving no. bed. <laughs> Forget this. Well, my dorm furniture wasn't all that comfortable either. So, the AV person, I'm going to say they can see and hear better in the classroom because I designed the technology in there. <laughs> this has been another awesome episode, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. And so if anyone wants to get in touch with you, Ernie, how can they go about that? You can usually find me on LinkedIn. And how about you, Rob? Same as Ernie, LinkedIn. And Scott. Uh, you can find me on, on LinkedIn or uh, Twitter. And I mean, trying to get this thing, Threads going. I'm on, I'm on Threads at... I need, I need like oh, you know, 80 more million people on that to really get that thing moving along. But uh, LinkedIn, uh, Ray Pubs, or uh, Twitter. Excellent. And Natalie, how about you? Contact me at dei at hetma.org or uh, find me at on LinkedIn or at northwestern.edu. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. And as for me, you can find me on the, I guess now it's X, uh, at smearing underscore off underscore ice on LinkedIn, or you also can email me at vicechair at hutma.org. Thanks for joining us again and hope to see you all next time.